It's been a privilege to open up God's Word with you uh, this week. And now as we come to the end, we uh, want to just avail you of a couple of resources that are available, uh, or that are becoming available, I should say. I've already mentioned that we are working on a book uh, and a Bible study. We actually have the book and Bible study written. We're in the editing stages of that and seeking a publisher and all the pieces associated with that. Uh, we have created a Facebook group, and we do want to create a YouTube channel as well, so that even some of what we're doing here could be video recorded, perhaps, and we aren't sure how that at all will um, materialize. But if you want to, you can keep in touch with us uh, through scanning that QR code. You can go to Facebook and facebook.com slash Song of Songs for Singles, um, and you can find us that way. And I put a couple QR codes on the table in the back as well, so you can uh, pers pursue that that way. Um, also, I am a contributor for with the Thinklings podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that I have with a couple of my friends, uh, Charlie Carter and Andy Stearns. They're also a couple of faculty members at Faith Baptist Bible College. We joke around that I'm the dad of the group, and they're the two junior hires. And uh, we have a really fun time. It's kind of just a community. And that's actually what we, com we, we encourage in the podcast, and we encourage other men young men, uh, ladies, uh, to do as well, is to actually have Christian community around God's Word and around reading and thinking. Uh, that's why we're called the Thinklings. And so if that is something that you'd be interested in, and if you're kind of a podcast person, a lot of people, their jobs are really conducive to listening to podcasts, and so they listen to podcasts all the time, go for it. Um, if that can help you, we'd love to We'd love for that to be used by the Lord in your life for your spiritual maturity and growth. I put my cell phone on the top there again, and so if there are some t uh, questions that you'd like to ask, then you can feel free to shoot those. I've gotten a couple, and I have a, a few questions that we're going to talk about just even in this morning's session. A few of you have brought up questions, and as I was thinking I was going to address it specifically, and I was like, oh, no, I think I'm going to save that for here. Oh, no, I think I'm going to save that for there. And we're going to hopefully answer some of those questions in this concluding session as well as we work through the end of the book. I'm not giving you everything. I only have five days, and so the sessions that I've given you, I hope, are tools that you can use, and, and then you can um, take it and then continue with it. Uh, we're going to be skipping a, a chunk in the middle, and we're going to go straight to the end of the Song of Songs uh, this, this, this morning. As we do work through this last section, I also want you to realize that this is not just something that's academic. It is academic. In fact, this next month, I am an academic. I am going to be working on writing an article on um, the desire of the woman in Song 7.10. Actually, it's the desire of the woman in Genesis 3.16. It's the desire of the man in Song 7.10. And it's an academic paper I, I will hopefully be presenting uh, to the Bible Faculty Leadership Summit in Detroit, Michigan, at the Bible uh, at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, where I can share some of these ideas even with some uh, um, think, uh, academics and get some critical feedback. Because some of the things that I'm talking about in teaching, particularly in this section that I'm not sharing with you, <laughs> are things that I'd like to get critical feedback on before I make them available publicly uh, at a more popular level. So that's why that article needs to be written before I release my book, because I want to make sure that I'm teaching God's Word correctly. The things I've shared with you, I do believe this is truly what God's Word teaches, and I pray that the Word of God has been spiritual nourishment for you uh, this week. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles. We're going to go to Song of Songs chapter 8 and verse 5. 
and we're going to read the end of the song. Song Songs, chapter 8 and verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce like the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we can study the song. And I pray that, I pray that you would use your word in our lives. Help us to love biblically. And help us, Lord, give us wisdom to cultivate in our children a desire to love biblically. As our two and three year olds, our five and six year olds, our nine and ten year olds, our teenagers, our singles that are done with school and they're looking for a spouse, um, Lord, they, they have desires and they need guidance, and your word guides them. And you, Lord, in your sovereign providential hand, have placed myself as an authority over my children. Uh, I pray for myself and I pray for the parents here that they would have the wisdom to cultivate godly affections in their children and to guide them to marry well. I pray that our children would be godly children. I pray that you would call them into the ministry as even Pastor Pat spoke on yesterday. I pray, Lord, that, that our children would, would marry well and then be godly spouses and, and that they would exemplify uh, a, a biblical marriage. Use this text in our lives as we seek to be better prepared parents. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way that I've uh, put together this one is actually to love successfully. How can you go about loving successfully? Now with that, it actually presumes that you understand that success is not just some kind of magical formula. You can't necessarily make it a mathematical equation. You know, if you do this and then you do that, then you get this. Uh, a lot of times that's the way wisdom works, but it's not always. In fact, that's one of the downfalls of a lot of parenting and marriage books. Uh, that was one of the big problems with the purity movement back uh, 20 years ago because they created this formula. They said, well, if you wait to have sex until you're married, then you'll get married and sex is going to be amazing and it's all going to be great. And then a bunch of people waited, and uh, then they had sex, and it wasn't amazing. They had problems. There's dysfunction because they were two sinners marrying one another, and the song talks about those problems, okay? And God doesn't say that there's going to be no problems, you know, just because you wait until you uh, wait, for, wait to have sex until you get married, okay? There's still going to be problems. You're going to have to work through some of those issues. In fact, the song in this section is going to help you through some of that too. But um, when, when we... It's not some formula that's like this, then this, then that. 
Instead, it's like, hey, you know what? This is the way that it should work. This is the order of creation, but there are variations to that. And weird things, bad things, wrong things sometimes happen. And what you need to do is you need to walk in the fear of the Lord and go through it that way. So there's a lot of books that have been written, like Love and Respect. I think one or two people mentioned that book specifically. There's a lot of really good principles in that book. The problem with book like that book and a lot of other ones too is they often create this formula. They make it like, hey, if you love your husband, then he'll, I'm sorry, if you respect your husband, then he'll love you. The problem is sometimes, guess what? That doesn't happen. Now, it's usually that way. It usually works that way. But we as humans can be really conniving and sometimes we can be very deceptive to even ourselves. Sometimes we're like, boy, you know what? If I just respect him, then he'll love me. So I'm going to do that. Now, why are you doing that? Why are you respecting him? So then you get something out of it. Well, if I just love her, then she'll respect me. Well, why are you doing that? So then you get something out of it. You see, that's not, that's not, your, your spouse sees through that. They know you, okay? They can, they can sense that you're just wanting to, you're manipulating them. That's essentially what you're doing. That's why what we talked about yesterday is the true way forward, where it's not if or that, then it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to love you. And if you even still don't like me, I'm still just going to love you. That's love. And when you truly love that way, usually what happens, okay, is that spouse reciprocates. And that's why a lot of times it is a love and then respect, respect and then love, and it tends to work together that way. But if that's your motivation, it fails. And even still, you may, and sometimes this happens, but sometimes, you know, you do what's right and you go through and you're doing it for the right reason and you're fearing the Lord and you're loving your spouse, you're respecting your spouse, you're, you're uh, being the Song of Songs lover, you're being the godly person that you're supposed to be, and your spouse still just goes. And that's life in a fallen world. And that's why the fear of the Lord has to drive through all of that. And this is the way that it is for singles as well. We don't, I don't, I don't want, I want God's best for each of you. I want you to enjoy the relationship that God describes in the Song of Songs, in the book of Proverbs. I want you to enjoy this the, the way that God designed it. I do, but I can't guarantee you anything. God doesn't guarantee you anything. Generally, though, if you follow God's precepts, then you get success. And that's what we're going to walk through here. What are some wisdom principles that we can follow that will lead us toward success? What are some wisdom principles that that can lead us forward that will lead us to success? Now, I know we're going to be in song eight, but I want you to actually go back now in your Bible to song three. Go back to song three. So picking up where we left off, in song three, six, we have this phrase. What is that coming up from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of of a merchant. The phrase that we're particularly interested in here is this phrase right here. What is that coming up from the wilderness? Now, what is coming up from the wilderness in song three? Well, you have this fragrant, fragrant um, uh, um, 
party, okay? You have the, the smells here. And in verse 7, look, it's the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 men, some of the mighty men of Israel. You've got this security detail. All of them wearing swords, expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. Okay, so these are just like, these are the mighty men. These are the really, really good guys. They know what they're doing with that sword. Verse 9, King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. So here, because then I can alliterate it, I'm going to say it's the seat. It's the seat, even though it's more of like a, a couch. It's kind of like you know, laying out, but that doesn't work as well for the alliteration. Uh, and what do we have in this passage? We have a wedding. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Here we have a wedding, the wedding of, one wedding of, <laughs> Solomon. Here he marries. And what kind of a wedding is it? It is the wedding par excellence. I mean, this is like the wedding of weddings, right? Now, this thing's like crazy. And who wants that kind of a wedding? Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Why are all the ladies, young ladies, wanting to go and see this beautiful wedding? Think about that young lady in that carriage that's being escorted to that king. With all of that pomp and circumstance, with all of those aromas, with all of that security detail, all of these mighty men of war that are very notable individuals that are guarding her, okay? What do you put the guards around? A very important person. Everything is just about her. And all of the young ladies are coming in to see this wedding, to see this woman. Now, there's one problem with that. This pronoun right here, what? Because it's not really what, it's really who. You're like, huh? Okay, well, we see this phrase again. Where do we see it? In Song 8.5. <clears throat> and who is it that's coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her lover? It's a woman. In very different circumstances. This is the Song of Songs lover. This is the wife of the Song of Songs. Who's this girl? Who is this woman in Song 3 6? One of the thousand. She's one of the thousand. But there's something within every young lady that wants this. She wants this attention, she wants the eyes to be on her. Think of all of the young ladies that are watching 
And guess what she got? She's in the carriage. She's got the security. She's got the beautiful carriage and comfort. She's got it all. She won. But did she? See, this really comes back to what do you want? And young ladies, single young ladies, I want to encourage you to think through what do you desire? And that's the first point of the sermon, loving successfully, is that you need to want the right things. You need to want the right things. I phrased these last points in the form of form of questions, hopefully to try to cultivate and to think through cultivating your affections to desire what God wants you to desire, to cultivate in you what, what the Song of Songs seeks to cultivate in you, to desire the right things. You know, it's interesting as you study through Jesus, you study through the Messiah, Isaiah 53 is a very important text when it comes to who Jesus was and how he was perceived by those whom he ministered to. Yeah, it wasn't, they didn't like him. <laughs> and we read through the Gospels and we see that. But in Isaiah 53, there are some additional descriptions of Jesus. You know, when we think of Jesus, do we think of Jesus as being beautiful? Do you realize it says in Isaiah 53 that he had no form nor comeliness? When we saw him, there's nothing in him that we would desire. And I've tried to use this just as an illustration for the single young ladies to help them think through the importance of what they want. And that in some situations, they could have Jesus himself asking them out on a date or to marry them. And they would say no, because guess what Jesus looked like? Not a whole lot. He was a very insignificant individual. All of the popular people did not like Jesus. And the woman here in the song, it seeks to cultivate the affections of our young ladies and say, you don't want Song 3-6. What you want is you want to lean on your lover. That's what you want. You want that kind of a woman, uh, that kind of a man. In Song 3, 6 through 11, you have the beauty, you have the opulence, you have uh, this value, and she's guarded. Every eye is on her. But what do you have in Song 8-5? You just have a common, ordinary girl. I've tried to instill in young people, you know what finding a spouse is? It's a wisdom decision. And how do you go about making wisdom decisions? Okay, you take a look at the information, you evaluate the pieces of information, and then you make a decision and you go. You talk to counselors, you involve other people, so on and so forth, okay? That's the process. That's how you go about doing it. And, you know, I've kind of tried to create, even in our book, we've created like these illustrations of two different young ladies or two different young men. Imagine, you know, one, one young lady. We'll, we'll pick on the guys for a little bit. Imagine you have two young ladies and you're like, man, I, I kind of like both these girls, but this one, man, I could really see myself spending the rest of my life with this girl. She just, man, we just connect. We get together so well. It's a little immature, okay? There's this other girl, and she's really nice, too. She's definitely more mature. We just don't kind of connect. It's like, 
you know, which one should we go, should I go for? You know what our Christian young men are often doing? Man, we connect. That's the one. You're not thinking right. You want a mature woman. I don't care about that connection. You create that connection with that girl. You create the chemistry. Similarly, with the young ladies, who's the lower risk? Who's the higher risk? You're not guaranteed anything, but some young men are very low risk. Others are, well, you know, we got to see an issue here or there, whatever, okay? It's a wisdom decision. So to love successfully, what do you need to do? You need to use wisdom in making that decision. And so loving successfully, this is kind of going to be the conversation as we work through the song and as we work through these various different points um, that song eight teaches us. Okay, so you have to want the right thing. Uh, so we have this contrast between these two characters in the song, between the song 3-6 woman and the song 8-5 woman. Now we're going to go to song 8-5, and we're going to talk about this woman a little bit more. Under the apple tree, I awakened you. The you here is masculine. Okay, this is a masculine singular pronoun. So the woman is the one speaking here. And she states, there your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. The focus on the mother uh, occurs several times here at the end. And this wasn't a point that I put in the notes, but I'm just going to highlight it. In Song 8-2, we had, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. And this is actually the biblical model is that a mother would teach the daughter matters concerning intimacy. The song doesn't teach her everything. Instead, what should you do? You should go to your mother. And in the community of faith, who is your mother that could teach you matters concerning intimacy? The older women that are in the church. They're the ones that you can ask the questions to. Don't go online. <clears throat> And this means, you older ladies in the church, guess what you need to know? The Song of Songs. And you need to be equipped to say, guess what God's Word teaches concerning intimacy? You need to evaluate maybe even your own life and the intimacy that you have with your spouse. I was talking to uh, an older woman before the service. You might not like me calling her that, but anyway, she's like, I'm looking forward to taking this information home and walking some of the young ladies in the church through it. Amen, right? Teach them, equip them, prepare them for what God's word has to teach about love and intimacy. And then when you have questions after you get married, because you will, go to your mother, have a conversation, or that Christian mother that's in your church that's guided you and directed you through these, this uh, time of transition. In this situation, we have the perpetuation of the generations, It's the perpetuation of life. And as opposed to Dame Folly, who takes life and destroys life, your young men, your wife, okay, she is your life creator. And she is the one with whom life continues. It's kind of fascinating after the fall with the, the, the creation of death into the world, one way in which we conquer death <laughs> 
is by having children. Ever think about that? I mean, we look forward to the day when, you know, there is no more death, but in the meantime, this is how death is conquered, is through the perpetuation of generations. And in an Israelite society, this would be a very important thing because a young man, one of his, one of the things he really needed to do was to create an heir that was going to inherit the family uh, property and the family inheritance, this I would continue. Well, who's there to do that? She is the one. And to think through, man, my mother, you know what? Maybe she knows a thing or two about this whole intimacy thing. After all, you know, well, they seem to have figured something out anyway, okay? Because he's around. So we have the perpetuation of life here in Song 8.5. Now that's just a little bit of exegesis from that thing. By the way, apple tree is like a, just a symbol for uh, a place of love. Let's keep going. In verse 6, this is where we really get to the points to the sermon because we have these metaphors, these similes that start to appear. Set me as a seal upon your heart. And here is where we really start to see what love really is, particularly this love of a husband and a wife. Set me as a seal upon your heart. What is the point of a seal? It's like, hey, guess what? You're mine. We have this exclusive love throughout the song. And this idea of the seal upon the heart, nobody wants to be loved in the external only. We want to be loved from the heart. It needs to be a desire that you have for your spouse. The second illustration, a seal upon your arm. And you can say, oh, I love you, honey. I love you, honey. I really do. I love you, honey. It's in my heart. But if you're not doing something about it, there's something a little defective there, right? Okay? So it starts in the heart, and then it evidences itself in one's arm and what they do. And and so what is that that's going to drive that? That seals, like, I've covenanted to you that I will love you inside and outside in this exclusive relationship. This is the foundation. This is that foundation for that that uh, exclusive love that a husband and wife need to have for them to enjoy the intimacy the way that God designed it. Then, and this is the focus here, we get the reason and we get to learn about love because love is as strong as death. When you see these words like as, those are making a comparison and you need to figure out in what way are they being compared. What is the correlation between love and death? How is it strong as death? Okay, because we're at the morning session and I can ask you questions. When you think of death, what do you think of? Louder? Certainty? What was that? Loss. Loss. Certainty is closer to the idea here. It is loss. That's definitely there. But here, it's certainty. It's the idea of permanence. Guess who, you know, I mean, we live post-cross, so yes, Jesus rose from the dead, okay? But when somebody dies, it's done. It's something that's permanent. And guess how God designed love? It's supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to be permanent. Um, I've gone through a few of the points here. I'm just going to blab them all up there, and then we're going to get into the Word and hopefully see how all of these principles of love flow out into um, our lives. And then also, singles, as you think through this, okay? Think about the awakening of love. 
what is love supposed to be? It's supposed to be something that's permanent. Hmm. So if you awaken it too soon, then you're awakening something that's supposed to never stop. And somebody came up to me after the session a couple days ago, I think, and they said, well, what about that emotional component? I mean, love and that emotional connection. I, you know, because I, I, I talked about kissing. I'm like, it's not just kissing. It's that emotional connection that singles end up creating for one another, even when they're in high school, when they're dating or, or whatever. Okay, I've talked to guys. I work with college students in a Bible college, and you know what happens, you know. Whoa, it's actually Christian young people that I could possibly marry here, okay? And uh, this kind of thing is a regular conversation in the student life department. Um, somebody breaks up with somebody, and guess what happens? Breaking up, guess what? Why is breaking up stink so bad? Maybe we've awakened something that was supposed to be permanent. And now all of a sudden, what do we have to do? We've got to raise the dead. Love is not something to be trifled with. Love is serious and it hurts. And it could be that you'll get hurt or it could be that you'll hurt somebody else. And we need to be teaching our children not to awaken love. Now, in this session, I want to get a little bit more practical too. How can we go about doing that as Christian parents, particularly in our society? One way, and I think this dovetails well with this idea of awakening love and teaching our children not to awaken love, and this is just me trying to live out the principles that I see in God's Word and do it biblically. I recognize when I say what I'm about to say, some of you are going to be like, yeah, well, that didn't work for them. I know somebody else that didn't work for them. I recognize there's going to be exceptions, whatever. But as a general policy, if it's not time for a young person to be in, to, that they could commit to a lifelong relationship, then why are they dating? And why are they dating? Because dating, what does it do? It awakens love. One young man came up to me and he's like, yeah, I really like this girl, blah, 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 blah. We were hanging out a lot together and she says we need to back off, blah, 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 blah. A little while later, oh, yeah, man, no, she's not interested now, I think, blah, 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 blah. Oh, goodness, it gets so complicated, okay? <clears throat> we had some good conversations. And guess what? He had awakened love. That's what it was. And you know what their physical relationship was? Okay? Nothing. They never had any physical relationship. They didn't hold hands. They didn't do anything. You can awaken love. And how does that happen? What does that end up doing? You're talking about the person. You're thinking about the person. You're texting the person. You're Facebook messaging the person. Okay? There's always connected today. Constantly. And our young people need some guidance on that. And as feelings and desires start to awaken within them. And they're like, wow, I kind of like this person. I kind of like this feeling I have too. They need guidance. They need to be told, hey, you know what? Those feelings, those are good feelings for that one person. But it's not time for you to love. And maybe that person could be your future spouse, but it's not time. So what do you need to learn to do right now? You need to learn to turn it off. Do we understand? And that would be a good principle for high schoolers. 
where high schoolers can then devote their lives to service in their church, to service in their home, to service to their neighbors, to, I mean, come on, making money, all right? High schoolers have time for that, I think. Um, and just growing and maturing. And then by learning to turn off those desires, that is a good Christian discipline that will help equip them even for when they're married. So then when they're married and they start to have feelings for somebody else, they're like, I've... That's not right. And they shut it down. So loving successfully, it's supposed to be something permanent. And you can start to see this builds right into the next description and the next point that I have here, jealously, which is coming right from the text here. Jealousy is fierce like the grave. It's a nasty business, especially when that person that you really, really liked with a permanent kind of a like, and then all of a sudden they're not liking you but they like somebody else. That hurts. It's rough. We need to equip our young people to love successfully, and that would include, that would include understanding what love really is. It's something permanent, something exclusive, and it's something that's jealous. So what we try to do is we try to encourage with our children that they have friends. Lots of friends. There's no exclusive relationships. Um, and that was what I would encourage you with as well. Have friends. Lots of friends. Will you get married someday? Yes. Are you at a point in time where you're gonna, you could have a permanent relationship with somebody for the rest of your life? No. <laughs> you're 13, son. Okay. I, I mean, he hasn't ever said anything, you know. But we've laid this groundwork for the last several years. So especially some of you with little, little ones, you can start laying that groundwork now and say, you know what? You, we, one day you'll get married, but that's not now. And right now you can have lots of friends, not this exclusive kind of relationship. We have additional metaphors in this section. Look at the passage. It's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And this is the one controversial mention of possibly the Lord's name. You have the Lord, and that's what the ESV here does it with it. Some make it the most vehement flame, a very fiery fire. Uh, the word that's used here is actually an abbreviated name of the Lord. You're probably familiar with the name of the Lord as Yahweh. Sometimes the Lord's name is abbreviated, and it's just Yah. And that's what we have here. We just have Yah. And the word is attached directly to the word for flame. So it could be the flame of the Lord, or it could be a most vehement flame. I'm fine with it being either. I don't, I don't, it both would be apply if it's the flame of the Lord. Guess what that is? A really strong fire. <laughs> and our Christian young people, by starting today and starting to awaken love, they're playing literally with fire. And whether they get burned or they burn somebody else, somebody gets hurt. And then they're trying to put out a fire. And look at verse 7. I mean, this doesn't even need hardly any explanation. You can see it right in the text. The Bible teaches us what they're playing with. They're playing with a fire that's supposed to be permanent. It's never supposed to be, go it's never supposed to go out. And then what do they have to try to do? They have to try to put it out. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. The picture here is a river and you've got this river bed. And in the river bed, you have this flame and it's such a vehement, mighty fire that the water going down that riverbed is just hitting that fire and evaporating. It's like physics physically fails. 
That's the fire. That's the fire you need to have for your spouse. And that's the fire that our young people are playing with. The flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This doesn't work too well in our culture, but at least in the ancient world, you know, they're like, oh, she doesn't love me. Oh, maybe, uh, hey, dad, don't we have a whole pile of money? I wonder if, uh, you know, there was a whole thing with a dowry back then and all of that stuff, okay? And they go and buy her. And what does it say of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? If he set his eyes on something that he want, that he wanted, Guess what? He took it. Do you think that applied only to possessions? Do you think that applied to only things? Do you think that maybe applied to people? To women? Song 2.8 says it applied to women as well. If he saw one that he liked, he took because he had the money and he could buy it. But what was he really buying? Was he buying love? That girl didn't care for him. Not really. She may have liked his money. She may have liked the carriage ride. She may have liked all of the security detail. She may have liked looking better than all of her girlfriends and getting all of that attention. Maybe. But she didn't care about him. He didn't really get love. You can't buy it. Love is something that has to be freely given and freely received. So love, how do you love? You love internally, externally, okay? Seal written on the heart, seal written on the arm, permanently, love is death. Jealously, oh, by the way, this is another application for, my, for the married couples. You should have a jealous love for your spouse. We saw that in the lesson yesterday from song three, okay? If somebody is like, you're showing a little bit too much interest in my man, Okay? You're showing a little too much interest in my wife. You go after your husband. You go after your wife. <laughs> Freely. Okay, so this is how do you love. So we have several adverbial explanations and instruction on how you go about loving. Now here, then, in the next section, we have another principle that can help you to love successfully. Let's take a look at the song. Final advice, look at that. Others, we aren't really sure who's doing the speaking here. It doesn't really matter a whole lot, okay? Um, we have a little sister. So is it the brothers? It's siblings. I would like to just say it's siblings. It would include brothers, could include sisters. And guess what the brothers and the sisters are doing? They're protecting one another. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. In other words, she's not reached puberty. She's very young. This is really important point in our culture, all right? Really important point, okay? She is young. She's, she's not even sexually mature. What will we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? And then we have two metaphors. If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver, so the wall is a metaphor for chastity. It's like, oh, if she is a wall, she's chaste, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to further reinforce that, right? Okay, we're going to help her out. And I'm glad that she's chaste and she doesn't have a desire for promiscuity and we're going to reinforce that desire and we're going to help her to continue on that path. Amen? 
parents can help in that. Siblings can help in that. Now, if that's what the wall is, then what do you think the door is? Well, maybe she has, you know, propensities toward promiscuity. And then what are they going to do? If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar, you know. Maybe, you know, she puts herself in situations which are pretty risky. Well, we're going to come after her and we're going to protect her. You want to love successfully? Our culture is so individualistic and it's unbiblical. Do you understand that? It is unbiblical. You need to surround yourself, singles, single young people that are here, surround yourselves with godly and an older uh, young men, an older man, young ladies, an older woman that is going to hold you accountable and ask you the hard questions. That will help you to love successfully. And that's what we see here. We have a community. And in this specific illustration, it's the, it's the family members. And so we try to even do this. And by the way, this starts young, right? Okay, she has no breasts, right? Okay, this isn't something that starts at puberty. This is something that you start doing now with your young ladies. They're obviously the more vulnerable ones. And we try to do this too, even with our daughter. And they complain like, well, you treat the brothers that way or whatever else. I'm like, well, guess what, honey? God made you a girl. And guess what? You're going to do this because we love you. And, you know, you instill in them. It's not just that. We haven't ever had that kind of a conversation with our daughter, but she does clearly get treated differently than the brothers. And the brothers are know that they're supposed to stick around her, even here at camp. And she has places where she's allowed to go, and the brothers are she's supposed to stick around to, and so on and so forth. What is this? This is wisdom. Do we understand that? We lived in a messed up world. And we need to protect those who are vulnerable. That's what this is teaching. Now, if I broaden that, broaden the application out then to our mature young ladies, okay? And even to the young men, but specifically to the young ladies, okay? You want to love successfully. You need to have others that are there to help you and to guide you. And, and there are going to be a community that'll ask you those hard questions. Now, we have a really false understanding of uh, accountability. Accountability is not, oh, yeah, we went out on a date and we, we got messed up a little bit, you know? That, um, you need to confess your sins to your accountability partner, but the accountability is more along the lines of, oh boy, I don't like the path. This is, we're going on a wrong path here. Hey, can I give you a call? Yes, you can call me right now. Okay, before the sin happens, Heath Lambert in his book, Finally Free, has a chapter on accountability. And if you're going to be a Christian leader and try to help some of these young people, read that chapter, read it with them. And it really helps to reinforce this idea of accountability before they sin, okay? I mean, I'm glad that they repent afterward, but can we, can we you know, not, you know, can we uh, get ahead of the game here? Okay, so we have the, this little sister here in verses 8 and 9, and that's the next point of the, of the sermon here. We, um, who can help you love? Who can help you love? And think to yourself, who is it in my church? Who is it 
uh, of my friends, but be careful with the Christian friends that you're really close to. A lot of times they don't have the maturity. They're struggling with the same desires. Most of them are probably not the best person that can help you to, to, to uh, get accountability. It needs to be somebody, and preferably an authority over you, but in a mature Christian. And then the final point comes from uh, the next verse, verse 10. Are you resolved? And that's what I've kind of termed this one. Are you resolved? The phrase here in verse 10 is extremely terse. And a a figure of speech is created in Song 8.10. The verb here, I was a wall, is not really, um, there's no verb here, okay? And it's probably better stated, I like to understand it more just in the present tense, I am a wall. It could be, I am a wall, I was a wall, I will be a wall. But it's a statement of like, you know what? Am I a door? I'm not a door. What am I? I'm a wall. Guess who's allowed in? Nobody. It's an extremely terse statement. It's just, I wall. That's it in the Hebrew. And then this next phrase, we're like, oh, that's so weird. No. My breasts are like towers. In other words, she is sexually mature. But as towers, when you think of a tower, okay, you're thinking of a city. And what are the towers doing? Their protection. She's created a metaphor here. And this is where I say this is like, young ladies, this needs to be your resolve. You are a wall and your breasts are towers and nobody's allowed in to this city. You got it? That's the picture here. And this needs to be your motivation. And think through military warfare. How does an invading army try to conquer a city? By force, yes, but often coercion, manipulation, flattery. Come on, what are all of those things? Be resolved. Be resolved. I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Then look at this last phrase. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Do you see that? She's at war with every man except for one. And when you think of a war, when you think of a battle, and then you think of peace, how is peace transacted? Through a covenant. Through a peace treaty. And when there is a peace treaty and she is in his eyes as one who finds peace, what then happens when you have a peace treaty with that one? The gate opens and the other party is allowed in. This is your resolve. Be a wall. Be that city. And when young men come and they try to 
persuade you, to coerce you, to flatter you. You be that city. And then when the time comes, when there is peace, you be not one at war. Do you see that? But one at peace. This is the exhortation from the Song of Songs. And these are some principles that can help us to love successfully. Are you resolved? I pray that you are resolved. Now, as we've said, we're going to have a Q&A. I've had several questions, and I appreciate those questions. I think I felt one or two come through on my watch while uh, I was speaking. And so I'm actually going to just kind of wrap the service up now. That will give us even a little bit more time. I did go super long yesterday, so we'll wrap it up early today. And so some of you, I think you said five. Actually, I'll just pray, and I'm going to let you take care of the rest here from here. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we as parents, as Christian parents, would guide and direct our children to love uh, impurity, to love well. Uh, and Lord, as I've kind of uh, opened up to your word, and I pray that I've shared biblical principles concerning relationships, uh, that we might take these things to heart, and that you'd give us wisdom as we seek to apply them. Uh, we live in a cursed world that hates you and seeks to sexualize our children and exploit them. Uh, give us wisdom as we seek to protect them uh, from these influences. Uh, help us to live selflessly and sacrificially in service to our children as we seek to guide and direct them. Uh, Lord, the, the, the odds are against you. Some might, or the odds are against us. Some might say, but Lord, you are the one that will empower us and you will help us to be successful in this mission. I pray for the moms and the dads here. Uh, help them to love one another selflessly and sacrificially. And I pray that you would give them this wisdom to raise their children for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.